Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B growth podcast. I'm Alex Hipwell. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the pod. I'm Shaheen Hother with X-Growth, and today I'm talking to Malcolm Hamilton, Global Marketing Director at SAP, about how can companies with a strong technical background introduce marketing in their organization and create an environment for it to thrive. Malcolm, thanks for joining us. My great pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. No, it's it's great to have you. You know, this topic hits uh, hits home for me and on different many different angles. Uh, my 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 background is electrical engineering. I mean, by education is electrical engineering, and I know there is a there is a shift that needs to happen for engineers to start to think in in marketing language, right? And that's uh, that's sometimes. That's sometimes challenging to do so, especially if, it, if it's a company that is founded by a technical founder or a technical owner and they got to make that shift. First of all, how would you describe the, the initial approach that technical leaders take? You know, someone with an engineering background or technical background, they take towards marketing. What do you see? Interesting. Actually, interestingly enough, some of the top-notch marketeers that I know personally have an engineering background both mechanical engineering and electronic engineering. So I'm not quite sure what that means, but I guess the, I, I often reference this when I'm talking to our business partners and my colleagues, that there's this dynamic that marketing is regarded as a right brain creative skill, okay? And technical, uh, analytical skill is left brain. So typically a lot of leaders of of businesses in in IT come from a technical background and often come from that left brain space. So they are challenged by marketing, candidly. They they find it difficult to understand the dynamics of what what effective marketing is. Whereas those folks that come from a right-brained environment um, thrive in, in the marketing space. But what is happening really quickly is that both those both those dynamics are emerging. So the tech, the, the left brain folks that are in leadership positions are having to adapt, having to change and move really quickly, given the massive paradigm shifts we're all experiencing in B two B and B two C commerce today. So that's 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 a very real dynamic where. I'm meeting with senior leaders from our partners around the world, and, and very often they have a left-brain discipline, and they're on this journey because they have to be. What, what do you think? And, and I want to get into the the nitty-gritty of of people getting on this journey. But you know, what are the what are some of the challenges that you see people having when they have that technical that left-brain approach to, uh, and and then they also try to introduce marketing. Yeah, it's just having that innate ability to to be creative from a marketing perspective. Marketing is a creative exercise. I'm not saying that left brain people are not creative, that they're just creative in a different way. And I know it's really dangerous to overgeneralize, but if I'm in a room of strangers in our meeting new partners in a room, I can almost pick after they've introduced themselves, just their names, 
I can almost tell you within minutes which are the left brain, which are the right brain, by the way they communicate, the way they dress, the way they, they, way, the way they talk generally. But all I can say to you is anecdotally, with a few exceptions, those left brain individuals, and, and candidly in the channel, in the IT channel, very large percentage of proprietors, leaders in the IT channel come from a left brain technical background. They've either worked for a large vendor in the technical space and decided to launch a business of their own uh, for all the right reasons. And they usually launch it and open it with peers, colleagues, friends that are also left brain. So you often meet business partners that are predominantly left brained in the way they think. So one of the things that we are always saying to partners is you really must think about bringing a marketeer with market right brain marketing disciplines into your business and allow that individual a seat at the leadership table to help you reconsider your go-to-market strategy, your value prop, all those things that marketers can do very readily that often technical people find difficult. It, uh, it's like deja vu talking to you about this right now. I, I, you know, one of the other things that I feel, and I had this challenge with, was um, you know, coming from an engineer background, there is a, you work with a certain level of certainty, right? And there is uh, the, the inputs of A, B, and C that goes in and it gives you, it gives you D. Where marketing is not as black and white as that. And, and, and that was something for me that was always a bit of a bit of a challenge to get used to that, hey, it's, it's not as black and white. You're dealing with people now. You're dealing with that level of uncertainty from, from people in, in the marketing space. And, and that level of uncertainty was something that I was not fully comfortable with. Is that, you know, is that something that you see as well? A lot. And in fact, you know, I'll resist using cliches and buzz terms, but there is this really important dynamic which which successful businesses right now are adapting to. And it's a term called customer centricity. And historically, marketing and sales have been targeting companies, company identities, right? without necessarily doing any research in terms of the human beings that reside within that business, what we call line of business leaders. So if you're attempting to sell to any business, large, medium, or small, if you're pitching a message to, a, to the CFO, chief financial officer, they have, a very different, they have very different buying drivers to a CMO or to the CEO. These are I mean, this isn't rocket science and it's not new to a lot of people that will be listening to your podcast, but what, what is fundamentally true today is you'd better understand who your customer is in terms of their buying drivers and, and what makes them tick, what makes them want to respond to anything that you are saying to them. Because what happens all too often is marketers and sales pitch the wrong message to the wrong person. And guess what? They then get surprised that there's no there's no uh, result. No, nah. yeah. and that there's things like called account based marketing. Uh, another another term is called the, the ideal customer profile. What does your ideal customer look like? And of course, that to some extent is size of company, geography, industry, all those things. But uh, today, it's especially critical to to bringing that factor that you're dealing with human beings that right now have very very different buying drivers than they did even six months ago, nine months ago. They're selecting vendors 
predominantly 80% of that buyer's journey is done independently without the vendor or the salesperson engaging. So the science of marketing today is making sure that any kind of messaging speaks to the language of that ideal customer profile. That's the science right now is speaking to those roles, but not only speaking to those roles by buying drivers, but also speaking to them aligned to what we call the buyer's journey. So it's, a, it's, it's always been a science, but no more so than now. Again, before we get into there, tell me a little bit about some of the consequences of not being, not being customer centric, not, not thinking about the customer as a human being and looking at the account and not only at the account, but also at the personas within that account. What are, the, what are some of the consequences that you see in the market when, when organizations don't do that and they kind of follow that same trajectory of, hey, we only work with technical people. We only work with left-minded people. We, we, we rely on our network of people that, that we know and, uh, and, and that's the path that they're taking forward. What are, what are some of the consequences that, uh, that organizations face in that situation? Think about the way right now that all of us are on, constantly on digital platforms, whether it's a mobile phone, whether it's a laptop, whether it's a TV, whatever it is. We are being bombarded with thousands of messages a day. And we have this innate ability to disregard 99% of them. And the reason we disregard 99% of them is because our instincts and our brain tells us irrelevant, irrelevant, irrelevant. Click close, swipe, those decisions that are made in milliseconds. So going back to your question, the danger with not delivering the right kind of content constructed to the buyer's journey and the buyer's drivers means you are instantly irrelevant, instantly. You can, to a certain extent, trade off the brand that you represent as a marketer to some extent. But frankly, most buyers today, decision makers, are making decisions in seconds as to whether you're relevant or not. So if you pitch anything to um, a decision maker, regardless of role, it needs to be highly relevant to their buying drivers. They need to perceive value to what you are pitching to them, what you're presenting to them. And fundamentally, it must not be salesy. Anything that's too salesy right now is disregarded. And again, I keep saying to, to our business partners around the world, and, and, it's, and it's, again, it's going to sound cliched, but it's a skill. And that is put yourself in the mind and body of the individual that you are targeting right now. What age group are they? So for instance, there's some research that was recently published that said, by a, by a global respected analyst that said over 50% of decision makers in a buying cycle in IT now are millennials. Now that's okay, whether you believe it or not, that's, there's a high percentage that are millennials. Millennials buy and select vendors fundamentally differently to someone like me, for instance, a baby boomer. Their buying drivers are fundamentally different. They want to receive messaging that um, empathizes with their values. And if you don't empathize with their values, they disregard you in a second. So that's the impact of a left brain leader or a left brain anything uh, in a business not being willing or 
prepared to address that dynamic because right now they'll be missing huge opportunity to address that dynamic. And as a result, if you do address that dynamic, send messaging to prospects aligned to their buying drivers, you're going to get cut through, they're not going to disregard you, and they'll engage. And you will embed, you'll engage in sales cycles that the competition doesn't even know exists. Interesting. Very long answer to your question, but that's... no, no, it's good. It's good. Um, I think I've, you raise a few few very interesting points, which kind of dovetails really nicely into my next question about. Okay, we get it. We we have to be customer focused. We have to align ourselves to the customer. We have to understand our customer, and and that sounds like the the first step that IT organizations need to take in order to be able to create a successful. Uh, uh, marketing or, or demand engine for for their uh, for their organization. Where do they go from there? You know, let's say let's say I'm an I'm an IT company, and you know I've I've made the decision that okay, we need to put a more strategic focus on marketing. I'm a technical founder, and I've brought in maybe a head of marketing now, and uh, and they're trying to understand who our customer is. Where do I go from there? What's what's the you know what kind of, how does my trajectory of progress going to look like? Yeah, that's the million dollar question because so often to be able to pull that information, all of the information you've just referenced is actually actually quite a challenging task, right? And it's the secret sauce. If you're able to identify who your ideal customer profile is and ask yourself some simple questions like regardless of whether you're technical or not, a leader, where are we consistently going into opportunities, potential deals, and losing? What's our win-loss rate when we target that particular business or that particular industry with this particular solution? Well, common sense and logic would say, if our loss rate is high, we should stop targeting it. But there's this tendency for businesses to say, this is the market we really should be owning and we should be targeting because we just want to without having all that analysis on the back end as to whether or not what you're offering to that target market really is a relevant solution. The secret source is to understand where you consistently win by industry, by role, by company size with the type of solution. And the extension of that is once you've done that research, well, we consistently win in discrete manufacturing, companies that turn over 500 million and below with an HR solution. Well, Blind Freddy would then say, well, in that case, it's about finding more like that. In other words, taking a laser beam approach to marketing rather than the tendency to do something we call spray and pray, which is just target anyone, right? Because often, frankly, leadership for any business, I've seen it and heard it many, many times, where leadership will say to marketing, we've just gone through our sales pipeline. It's looking a bit thin. We need more leads, more leads. Just send out 10,000 emails, get a database from the database vendor and just send out 10,000 emails. And we're bound to get at least three or four leads from that. We'll end up probably closing one. And that conversation happens all the time. Whereas the most successful vendors that we deal with, the successful partners, understand that the other dynamic, which is laser beam marketing. So going back to your question, it's a tough discussion to have with a non-market, a leader that doesn't, doesn't 
understand marketing. The good conversation to have is when a leader who is, has a technical background knows, he or she knows, that they don't know, and they need to bring that skill set into the business. And once they, that happens, providing they recruit well, that marketer they bring into the business becomes a strategic advisor to the business to guide guide them, guide the business on that go-to-market strategy. Not always an easy conversation to have. It's change management. But this is why increasingly businesses around the world are becoming marketing-led, not sales-led. I want to come back to that point, being marketing-led but um, and not sales-led. But the other thing that I want to point out that you just, just talked about is that they bring somebody on board and it's it's hard to adapt the process because it's, it, it needs change management. And one of the things I've seen is patience runs, runs out with marketing and it's absolutely, yeah. And it's like, it's not working. Kill it. Have you, have you seen anything similar to that? What, what is your experience with, uh, with patients running thin? Well, SAP, who I work for, we have over 23,000 partners in our ecosystem, and they range from transnationals, many names we'd all know, right down to the you know, small businesses with maybe six to eight staff. And I hear this in companies, large, medium, and small. And that is, to your point, patience wears thin really quickly. And that's one of the biggest challenges because sales are hungry for leads, more leads, leads, leads. That's the, you know, we need, marketing needs to generate more leads. No, marketing needs to generate better leads is the discussion. Leads that are, we are more likely to close. And if you have that spray and pray approach and you do end up with, you know, you target 10,000 individuals or companies and you, and you generate those five leads, the chances of you closing any of those five leads significantly reduced because they've just moved into a marketing phase or a sales phase and they just don't buy. So again, back to your question, the change management is where leadership has faith and trust in marketing's guidance. So marketing's role should be at the leadership table talking about and contributing to the discussion around where are our best fit target markets by company size, by role, by industry, by geo. And let's build a strategy to dominate those target markets, not own a piece of it, but dominate it. And marketing, good marketing, good marketeers are eminently qualified to be able to have those conversations with leadership. But to your point in terms of patience, what happens, leadership, many marketing strategies can take up to a year before you see ROI, if not longer. A case in point, for instance, is uh, let's say it's anything relating to social media. Social media historically was not seen as a viable mechanism with which to generate business. Candidly, today, without it, many businesses wouldn't be around for very long. It's fundamentally key. But a social media strategy or a digital marketing strategy takes time to build. It takes time to to execute. And often, depending on what the initiative is, it can take six, nine, 12 months before you start seeing ROI. And that's when leadership start to lose patience. They, where are the leads, when are the leads coming? When are the leads coming? And you've been running this LinkedIn campaign now for six months. We're not seeing enough leads. 
So marketing straight away are in this defensive position, being forced to move into a tactical role rather than strategic. And successful businesses are those where, in my unequivocal experience, meeting thousands of partners a year around the globe, it's when leadership has faith and trust in marketing as a thought leader within their business, and they have the patience to realize that the it's not a it's it's not a rapid okay you might get you might be lucky and get short term ROI depending on what it is, but historically if it's done well it takes patience time until you start to get run rate. But once it's once it's well tuned well well structured and you're targeting the right market your cost of acquisition significantly drops. So. You know, leads coming into the business are high quality. Sales are happy because they've got good opportunities to work on. The CEO is very happy because the win rate is much higher. And net-net, higher revenues, higher margins. Yeah, everybody's happy. Everybody's, uh, everybody's on their good side. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself stuck with a B2B problem? Need a second opinion on your next campaign? or looking for some feedback on that piece of MarTech you're thinking to purchase. Well, that's why we created the Growth Colony Slack channel. This Slack channel is like a small dinner party where you get to meet and mingle with B2B professionals, hear what others are doing, and keep up to date with the latest B2B trends and news. You'll also get access to a range of exclusive content from our podcasts, webinars, and events. The best thing about it It's all free. If this sounds interesting, head over to growthcolony.org forward slash slack and sign up. That's growthcolony.org forward slash slack. Malcolm, earlier you mentioned organizations, especially IT companies, are becoming more marketing-led than sales-led. What do you mean by that? I guess it goes back to that topic where I say that Marketing needs to be at the leadership table to have the discussion around what market should we be targeting at all? Because historically, sales have been leading those discussions. Sales have been saying, we, we should be targeting this industry. And often those, those or historically, those recommendations from sales has been based on where they've won the occasional deal, the relationship sales people already have with decision makers. But candidly, the elephant in the room is salespeople typically tend to work where they feel comfortable, right? And that's human nature. And it's tough to move out of that space and say, target a different type of customer. So so marketing's role is to do a number of things at the leadership table. But from a strategic guidance perspective, the CEO, when he or she are having pipeline review discussions with sales, marketing needs to be sat at the table as well or on the Zoom or on the Teams. Because if there's a delta, if there's not sufficient pipeline velocity, new pipeline velocity, historically, sales sales have said, well, let's go here, 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 and here. And they do. And you can't do that anymore. Marketing needs to be at the table to say, we've done some research using digital platforms we see an opportunity here, 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 and here. And the way they determine those opportunities, marketing this is, is leveraging digital platforms, what we call social listening. 
um, from a marketing perspective. It's marketing's job to do that. And marketing is in a position then to provide leadership with guidance where to aim their limited gunpowder as opposed to spray and pray. So any CEO of any business right now needs to have marketing involved in those strategic discussions. And marketing has to have the courage to say, you know what, we shouldn't go there. We shouldn't target that market. Why? Because we've done some analysis and we'll be spinning cycles and our win-loss, our loss rate will be very high. Let's think about another market. Um, The other reason marketing, successful businesses are becoming marketing-led is back to that other term, customer centricity. And, And whether it's B2C or B2B, Marketing is influencing everything we are doing right now, everything we are doing. We just often don't know it in terms of what we buy, where we go to restaurants, what, what movie we see, what, you know, what clothes we buy. And you might say, well, marketing's always done that. Yes, but differently. This is being done using platforms like artificial intelligence, machine learning where successful marketeers are leveraging leading edge digital platforms to get inside our heads, to influence our our decision-making processes. And an industry that got this five years ago is retail. Retail have been doing this for at least five years. Successful retailers today leverage marketing and technology supremely well. IT is a little bit of catch up, but it's, it's happening. Yeah, it is. It is fascinating to see the changes that are happening in the in the marketing space and and uh, and what is what is going on. And I feel like the retail uh, with the with the recent changes and in, in some of the some of the tracking capabilities, they're having a uh, interesting time as well with with Facebook and Google. But um, I think we will sit and 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 watch what what unfolds in that in that space for sure. Malcolm, are there any other challenges that you've come across or anything that, uh, you know, maybe I haven't touched on, 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 on this topic that you think is worth, worth covering here? Yeah, it goes back this many, actually, but it goes back to that term, um, which was actually first coined by an Australian, a guy called Hugh McFarlane way back in 2003. Uh, I, I, I know Hugh very well. It's called the buyer's journey, right? It's a term now that's you know ubiquitous everywhere. You hear the buyer's journey. Well, what does the buyer's journey mean? And what it essentially means that all of us, we're all buyers, we go through some kind of journey in terms of buying anything, whether it's you know piece of furniture, a TV, a car, selecting a vendor, um, whatever. We subconsciously and consciously go through some kind of journey from the very beginning where we've never, we, we don't think we need this thing, somebody has done a really good job at getting inside our heads to say, you know what, you actually do. You do need this thing that you didn't think you needed, right? That's what brilliant marketing does. It gets inside our heads and conditions our thought process, firstly, subconsciously, and then consciously. Um, and the science of effective marketing with that customer cent- at the center is to ensure that, you, that the business is communicating with those humans, those individuals, providing information, both either push or pull, that's relevant to the buyer in their journey. So what does that mean? It means certain types of content can be made available to a, to a potential customer while they're exploring 
right? They're just looking. They're, they're invisible to you potentially, but they're on Google or other platforms and they're looking. You don't know they're looking and they might work. If you're doing a good job with your SEO, your search engine optimization, they might well stumble upon you, your brand, and they might well have a look at you. You may not necessarily know it. So then you move, the prospect moves into a, into a kind of a vendor selection, a shortlist, if you will. Historically, sales have been driving this, right? Sales have been driving this, you know, driving the prospects forward. But unanimous consensus from experts around the world is 80% of the buyer's journey is self-empowered today, especially now with, you know, we're not able to get about, we're not able to go to events, not able to shop as much as we used to. So that means if 80% of the buyer's journey is self-empowered, as individuals, businesses better make sure that they're highly visible during that 80% of the journey, that they're providing relevant information timely, but critically aligned to the phase that the buyer is in in their journey. Now, that's a long answer to your question once again, but that's the science. That's using technology, understanding where the buyer is, the individual human being in that process. Now, there are tools that help businesses address that dynamic, like marketing automation tools, but they're not a set and forget and they're not fail safe. You, it, you, know, you really need to do some science and research around your ideal customer profile, what makes them tick, what kind of information is relevant to them, what's valuable, but when do you deliver it to them? When do you make it available? Is it a blog? Is it a podcast? Is it a white paper? Is it just a small hi, hello, my name is on LinkedIn. And an analogy I use is this. If you, for instance, have received a piece of information from somebody trying to say, hi, I, this is our company, this is what we do, and you ignore it, right? Because you think, oh, more information. They send it to you again in another way. You ignore it. It doesn't mean you're not interested, but you just ignore it for now. And then it comes to you from another platform, maybe. And then you go, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'll click and I'll have a look, right? They, so that's what we call the explore phase of the buyer's journey. And buyers are moving in and out of that dynamic all of the time. They're, you know, it's not that they're not interested. It's just that they're saying not right now. So the science, and then when they move into the evaluation phase, they're actually shortlisting vendors without actually interacting with anyone. It's all done themselves. And that is both super scary and a super opportunity because it means that your competitors don't know that this buyer is researching. If you know, you can be the one that shapes that, that buyer's understanding of what they think they need. That's the science for companies today where marketing is so important. They, marketeers, smart, good marketeers do that in their sleep. That's what they do. Smart, good marketeers. Okay. I, I want to actually come back to this point. You talked about a few things. You talked about, you know, you have to understand where your customer is because, hey, you might, you might get that uh, LinkedIn message that we all get about, hey, we offer software development, do you need any help? And you ignore it, and then you get it on another channel or another, in another format and you respond. Um, you talked about you know, the, the, the kind of push and pull 
uh, processes and, and methodologies. And, and you also talked about, you also mentioned that these are not fail safe. We, you know, in our, in our agency, we work with quite a lot of TSPs, we, we call technology service providers. And almost there is no instance that we talk to somebody and they turn and say, oh, you know what? I don't want to talk to marketing people or marketing agencies. You know, we did Facebook and LinkedIn ads with somebody or SEO and they promised us the world and it, and it didn't work. I want to, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And I, you might've heard this as well. I'm not sure if you've come across this, that, hey, we, we yes, Malcolm, we did some marketing, we did some SEO, we did some, some ads that didn't, it didn't work. And I feel like part of that is, is, um, is to, hey, you need to give it time, but there might be other elements as well. What are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on the fact, I mean, you, you mentioned where is important, but also you also mentioned that it's it's not fail safe. What what would you say to to a to a you know IT company that that brings that up? One of our partners, you mean? Well, so often when we've looked at that, and we do all the time. Um, I mean, we work with agencies, small, medium, and very large around the world. Of course, what does success look like? Right from the, from a from a client perspective, success is leads. Success is net new revenue, right? But that what often happens is, candidly, the brief is 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 wrong. Right at the beginning, the brief is not really what the what the customer needs, right? And, and either either there's a disconnect between the brief in terms of what the customer feel they need, and what the agency are actually delivering, right? There there needs to be a very clear, crystal clear brief in terms of what the customer wants and is expecting from you, the vendor, the agency, and in terms of what does success look like. So often there's a disconnect because the output from the agency, from the agency's perspective, we've exceeded what we said we would deliver. We've given you a lot of MQLs, right? You got plenty yeah, of no, those. Well, yeah, well, there's a very good point. What's an MQ? What's a marketing qualified lead? What is mm. it? You know, uh, and candidly, we're, we're, we've heard from agencies that say, well, a lead is when somebody fills out a landing page from an email campaign. It's not. It, it a lead is. You know, sometimes leads get passed when they've determined that somebody has a pulse. A lead shouldn't be passed until such time as that lead has been qualified because there's a number of things that happen there. Number one, it perpetuates the perception from sales that marketing are not adding value because all that happens is leads are being passed to them, which when they when sales ring the prospect and the prospect says, who are you? I don't, why are you calling me? All I did was fill out a questionnaire on your website. I'm just no, interested in the ebook. Yeah. And, and look, there's there's a lot to be considered when that happens, if if a, any business, whether they're large, medium, or small, operate that way just by just driving interest, tacit interest, and regarding them, and, and then in, engaging sales too soon, they're actually damaging their brand. So if you think about it in your own world, you may have expressed some kind of interest, interest, loose interest in some way. And then you get a phone call from a salesperson that says, hi, I understand you're very interested in our product. Can I arrange a sales call? Can I arrange to meet you? They're like, no. 
Excuse me, um, who are you and what's this about and who do you represent? And it's the golden rule. And, and it's, it's always been a golden rule, but it's especially a golden rule now because everyone's uh, on, you know, in terms of outreach is on digital. We're all being bombarded by messaging. And if we get approached with the wrong message at the wrong time, with a message which is of no relevance or value, human well, it's pretty obvious what you think about the brand. And the other thing is you tell other people about that because you can, you know, you put it on your Facebook, don't deal with this organization, they've done this. Or, you know, how often do you get messages from social platforms that says, you know, be careful with this particular organization. Now I'm being simplistic, but it's today successful businesses that understand the, the customer's buying drivers, that understand their journey uh, and message to them respecting all of those dynamics will, will succeed. They will grow. But those that don't, no, nah. no, they, they won't survive. Malcolm, I have a, I mean, this is, this is awesome, but I, I have a couple of last questions and they're, these are rapid questions that I want to ask you. And I ask everybody who comes on our podcast about these. Sure. Um, so let's, uh, let's, let's go through them. The first question that I want to ask is, uh, is what is one resource, book, blog, podcast, talk, whatever it is, that fundamentally changed the way you work or live? Work or live? Work or live. I mean, something that has a, a, had a big impact in how you see the world. It could be from a professional standpoint, could be from even, even from, from, uh, from life standpoint, but it was one piece of content and resource that you went through. Well, you can probably gather by my profile, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm over 65. So I'm looking at um, living a lot, long life and keeping myself fit and well. So there's a, there's a podcast actually called Llama. It's an acronym. Live Long and Master Aging, which is a podcast which is actually delivered by a BBC journalist that's based in the States. He's English. And he, his podcasts are incredible because what he does is he, he interviews global thought leaders and experts and scientists on what can you do as an individual to, to ensure that you live a long health span, not lifespan, health span. So, so often we've got people living longer, right? And they get to maybe 75, 80, then they get 10 years of terrible health. That's because they're, we're keeping people alive longer, but they're not necessarily enjoying good health. So Lama is an incredibly powerful podcast. He's a brilliant interviewer and he's interviewed global thought leaders on how to live long and master aging. That is a cool topic. I'm going to be checking that out, um, yeah. Malcolm. I'll be checking that out. Question. Well, I, don't, I don't think you need to. You're a lot younger than me, but still. You, well, you no, you know what? I'm, I'm, you know, I think about these things as well. I, you know, whenever, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I've got to the age that things start to hurt from time to time. And I'm like, oh, I didn't have that before. And, you know, what's going on with the knee here or what's going on with the shoulder when I do this? And, so it, it, it's, it, it, it is on my mind and, uh, you know, I, I get things checked quite quickly and just Good. so that it doesn't uh, go along. So I'm going to definitely check this podcast out. Question number two mm. is, uh, if you could, if you could give one advice to, uh, to, to kind of B2B leaders, IT leaders, people that we, we've been talking about throughout this podcast, what would that advice be? 
know your buyer, know your customer. Now, sorry, it's I've, I've, I've waxed lyrical about that already, but if you know your customer and you know their customer well, you will meet their needs or indeed exceed their needs. If you don't know your customer, based on their buying drivers and based on what makes them tick, your competition may well do so without you knowing, and they'll steal them from you. Why? Because they can. And it's all being done digitally. There's a second piece as well as a postscript to that. This is another really, really dynamic space in marketing. And that is this, know who is influencing your customers in terms of their decision-making processes, because we are all being influenced by influencers. I'm not talking of Kim Kardashian. I'm talking of, it might be anyone from Gartner to IDC. It might be an individual who influencer marketing is exploding around the world because of the growth in digital and social platforms. So influencers can kill a deal in an instant. You're about to close the deal. The prospect reaches out to an influencer, either on LinkedIn or Twitter or email, and they ask a question. I'm about to sign with this company, and the influencer can say, well, hold on a minute. What? You should be looking at So influencers, uh, knowing who is influencing your customers, both from a marketing perspective and sales perspective and post-sales perspective, is critical to survival because they can shape your market, they can kill your market, but more importantly, they can grow your market by advocating for you. I love that. Okay. Know know your influencers. Know know who are the influencers of your customers are. I I love it. Which next question is about influencers, Malcolm. And the next question is uh, what are what are what are the influencers that you follow in the in the marketing space? No surprise in the marketing space. uh, uh, I actually follow several of my peers within my own company, uh, SAP, because we do have world class marketers in our team around the globe. Um, we're all very actively involved in social media. So we're, we're, we're what we call social advocates for, for SAP globally. So I'm, I'm using platforms like Twitter and LinkedIn and, and um, other platforms to track what they're saying, track what they feel, as well as having conversations with them. And the other thing in terms of who influences our customers, there, there is one particular influencer that I track regularly and constantly because he's prolific in social channels. He's extremely well-read by our customers and our prospects. So I, I want to make sure he's saying nice things about us. And that's a guy called Dennis Howlett. I mean, it's a name that might not mean anything to your audience, but I know that if he says something negative about anything we do, I reach out to him and try and persuade him that there's another view, not in an argumentative way, but if he's only got to say something negative, and I know that thousands of our customers may well see it. He doesn't usually, but he's, he's, but there's an example of where I literally track everything he says. So he he might do six tweets a day, of which five are non-business related. And then there's this gold nugget. There's one business st- statement, which typically is somewhat contentious. Mm. I mean, you, you, I mean, you're following your own advice, right? Of, uh, yeah. of know who's, who's influencing your customers. Okay. Yeah. I'll uh, definitely yeah. look at uh, Dennis Hallett. Last one, last question that I have is, what is something that excites you today about B2B? I think it's the opportunity to be able to shape your market. 
leveraging marketing. And, and again, that's a big topic. What does shape your market mean? In essence, it means you're able to shape the way buyers, potential buyers, feel about you and your solution using marketing, right? So an example in retail, for instance, and I often reference this, the fashion industry do this to perfection. They shape their own market, right? An example is when I was young growing up, if I had the tiniest of holes in my Levi's, I'd throw them away. Nowadays, companies are making millions out of selling jeans with massive holes in them. Why? Because the fashion industry shaped the market. They've shaped demand. I know it's a, it's a somewhat blunt and crude analogy, but that's exactly what it is. You, you, are, you are building demand in a market that right now doesn't know it needs you. And it's called shaping. Now, what excites me about that, and it's been always been the case, by the way, companies like Apple do this to perfection. So do Microsoft. I think so do we. But the great thing with digital and social platforms is you are able to shape your market, leveraging a multitude of platforms using clever marketing tactics and strategies. So that's what excites me. Artificial intelligence, and I say this with a caveat, but artificial intelligence has massive, absolutely massive potential in terms of shaping markets, in terms of messaging and connecting with your target markets. And as we all know, there's a lot of governance discussions going on at government levels right now around the world, and it needs to have. But AI is going to fundamentally transform everything we do. So from a marketing perspective, any marketeer that doesn't understand the power of AI right now better get on the bus pretty quickly because they're going to get left behind. Get on the bus, the AI bus. All right. No, this, this is great. This is great. I love it. Malcolm, this has been an amazing conversation. I really do appreciate it. I appreciate your time and all the insights that you brought to, to, the, to the table. So uh, thank, thank you very much for, for jumping on the pod. My great pleasure. Thank you, Shaheen. Hey, it's Alex again from X-Growth. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help get the word out to other B2B professionals. If you're hungry for more B2B content, make sure to join our Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack, where we share the latest B2B news tactics, tips, and chat about problems we're facing in the B2B space and find solutions together. That's growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode.